I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of The Woman in Tech Show, a podcast about what we work on, not what it feels like to be a woman in tech. For more information about the show, go to wit.fm. Product management is a core area that helps us build software products. Tracy Mankin, vice president of product at NerdWallet, explained the different areas of product management. We talked about product experimentation, cross-discipline collaboration, and market research. Tracy also talked about important skills to have in product management and leadership positions. Tracy, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here today. Today, I'd like to talk with you about Nerd Wallet and also product management. This is an area you have over 20 years of experience in. What do you like about it? So I think there are several things to like about product management. First, it has a lot of variety to it. There are so many different flavors of product management. You can be a product manager of a brand new product that's never been in market before. You can be a product manager that specializes in scaling products and making them really big. You can solve problems for everyday consumers. You can solve problems for incredibly technical professionals and everything in between. So there's such a range. There's just so much variety to it that I think that's probably my favorite part to it. So you're saying it's very versatile and it allows you to not get bored, I guess, by doing the same thing over and over, right? Certainly. I think most product managers would definitely say they don't get bored. Um, there is usually a new problem or a new opportunity thrown at you every week, whether it is a defect in the product that you've already brought to market or whether it's new input from your sales organization that they've got you know, a whole new type of customer that would like to buy your product if only it did this one particular thing. The range of variety is immense, absolutely. You're talking a lot about different areas of focus, like working on scaling a project, developing the product, everyday consumer products. In terms of product management, are there different areas within this discipline? Absolutely. So I think we could break it down uh, in sort of two ways. One, there's what I call blue ocean or 1.0 product management. That is the type of product management where you or your CEO or your partners have an idea and it's an idea for a product that really has never been come to market before. This is the type of product management challenge that involves not just ideating that product, but confirming whether there is product market fit. In other words, are there people that will use the product that you have the idea for? And there is probably a whole nother podcast just on the topic of finding product market fit. The second kind of product management that I think about is scaling a product. So after you know that you have found that first fit, you know you've got users that want to use your product or customers that want to buy your product, then you need to scale. And that is an exercise in figuring out how to get your product to the widest audience. It involves a lot more collaboration with marketing. And it also involves making sure that your product can be delivered at high, high, high scale, not just to a handful of 
consumers or end customers that you can talk to every day. That's one way to think about it. But there's another way, which is the type of problem as a product manager you want to work on. Like I said, some product managers want to work on consumer problems. This could be building games. It could be pretty much any app that's probably on your phone right now today, including the app store itself, right? But some product managers like to work on problems for business people or for scientists. So what you would typically call a business-to-business type of a product challenge. It is exciting for some product managers to really think about bringing to market the kinds of solutions that just help businesses run, whether it is the software that sits on a register at a grocery store or the software that sits behind a piece of medical equipment. That's all product and often that's B2B. The third kind that I've run across and seen excitement around is really building products for other product builders. In other words, what is typically called platform product management or systems product management. So these are the types of products that a team will build almost for internal use. Everything from design style guides with pre-built components that can be reused for consistency to APIs that provide access to data and other things that are like that. So different types of people gravitate to different problem sets, and those are all different examples of problem sets. Personally, in my career, I have spent some of my time on what you would call platform product management systems and APIs. I've spent some of my time on, of all things, enterprise resource type applications, accounting packages, human resources systems, and I've spent some of my time on consumer. So I've done a little bit of everything, but I have found that that different product managers really find that one area where they get the most energy. Exactly. And I'm really getting this overview from you where, for example, the first one that you listed was a role focused more on product market fit and building 1.0 products that have never been out there. So I imagine this, whoever works on it has skills, a lot of them related to marketing, right? So strong marketing and research side, right? I would agree. I think that one of the things that I tell product managers that work on my teams is that product management is mostly science with a little bit of art. So quite frankly, at NerdWallet, we use what is effectively the scientific method. We have a practice that we call drivers before solutions and hypothesize, measure, build, measure, and learn. So drivers before solutions means you don't start with an answer to the problem that a consumer might give you. You actually start by understanding what the motivations are of the consumer. So if we have insight that tells us that consumers would get really frustrated by all of those subscription services that they sign up for, they sign up for a free trial of Hulu and a free trial of Disney+. Plus and they've got their cable bill or they're trying to wire cutter. These are all in the same area of these um, now starting to be very prevalent subscription services. So that's a problem that consumers will bring to us. Part of what we would want to understand is, well, what is their driver? Is their driver that those are you know, $15 a month that are starting to stack up and they can't afford it anymore? 
Is their driver that they just feel like they're wasting their money because they signed up for Hulu and then they're just not watching it anymore? So those are actually two different motivations. And understanding what those drivers are might lead a product manager down a couple of different solutions as they're thinking about the problem. The other side is hypothesize, build, measure, and learn. That is the scientific method. So now you have a hypothesis about what's motivating your user, what their problem is, and what their solution could be. So build it light, measure, learn, and then rinse and repeat until you know you get it right. What do you mean by build light? Well, I think it really depends on the type of challenge that the product manager is taking in front of you. Personally, I don't think you have to build everything with engineering to get answers about whether you're heading in the right direction. Some things that might be necessary, but for example, I have participated in exercises where we drew pictures of a potential app on cardboard and gave those pieces of cardboard almost like a deck of cards to users and had them go through that deck of cards by fake tapping on various things inside that mock-up of an app. And we got plenty of insight. Now, that was not a user experience test. That was a, are we on the right track with a solution that might be exciting to this user? Are they discovering parts about our idea um, just by going through something as light functioning as, you know, a paper prototype, which is basically what that is. Another way you can test, frankly, is with partners. It is a sometimes a pretty straightforward exercise to find somebody else that's doing something similar to your idea and try their product out on your consumer. How does your consumer, you know, participate with their product? What do they like about it? What don't they like about it? That competitive intelligence takes you a long way in that regard. And that's another form of the same thing. Yes, I really like the examples that you're listing, like the one where you basically are providing people paper cards with the layout of a potential app. And this allows you to, I imagine, save resources if the feedback ends up being we don't really need this it's not interesting then you didn't waste resources with developers having built the concept right yes i would say it's either resources or time and often when you're a company like nerd wallet that's you know we're not a startup like day one startup we're a company we're 10 years old and we've really found product market fit with our offering in financial services but when sometimes it's more about saving time than it is about saving resources. So our conversations are usually, you know, I ask really three questions. Like, what is the risk? Are we talking about an idea that if done well and at scale will be really expensive? Is this a big, expensive idea that we need to be very sure about before we commit ourselves to it? Or is this an idea where the risk is pretty low. It might be a light build from an engineering perspective and the you know a good rollback plan 
on a idea that isn't going to really annoy your end users is it can also be a fast path to learning. So I frequently get myself in a conversation with product teams where they believe they have to A-B test everything. And I don't think that's true. That is not my philosophy. I think that depending on the risk profile and the annoyance factor with your end users, there can be a case made for a light build that goes quickly to market in production, you'll get fast feedback. And if that feedback says you made a mistake, then you roll it right back. A good rollback plan will take you a long way. So I really do think it's kind of that, I don't know, a two by two of the risk profile and annoyance factor with your users. We've been talking a lot in general about product management. You've mentioned Nerd Wallet a few times, which is where you're currently vice president of product. When I was researching for this, I saw that Nerd Wallet is a finance company founded in 2009. Can you explain in more detail what the company is about? Absolutely. So we are a consumer finance website and an app that helps people really improve their finances. We do that by providing expert guidance through articles, tools, and even basically e-commerce marketplaces to allow consumers to evaluate, compare, read reviews, and ultimately select financial services or financial products that can help improve their financial world. So we maintain a very large content team that is comprised of journalists and writers who are not aware of or influenced by financial partners that might also be advertisers in our ecosystem. That group spends hours and hours evaluating and reviewing financial products we cover about 12 different types of financial products, everything from asset products like checking, savings, to liability products like loans, personal loans, mortgage loans, to the things I think of as like protection, like insurance. We cover all of those areas in financial services. And we write not only about the actual financial services providers and their products, but we also try to demystify the language and the important things about each of those examples. What is the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA? Why should you care? Does it matter depending on your own age or your personal situation? So all of that financial guidance is offered for free to our consumers and then because we also maintain a marketplace of reviewed products and services, our consumers have an opportunity to, if it makes sense for them, actually use us to acquire some of those products if they make sense to them. So yeah, we've been around about 10 years. I mean, in the last year and a half or so, we, our employee base has grown almost 45%. So we're continuing to grow at an incredibly fast clip. And we offer this kind of guidance and advice, not just for consumers, but also for small businesses. One thing I do want to highlight is I've seen that the finance space is still, I'm going to use the word infancy in terms of technology, just to let people know that there's a lot of innovation happening in this space because it's a lot of the systems are quite old and now we have new technologies and new approaches. So there's a lot of innovation happening, right? 
I would agree with you. I think there's kind of two sides to that question. There are the financial services companies themselves. I'm talking banks, credit unions, credit card companies. A lot of that, of their technical infrastructure has been around for decades. And many of them are have been faced, I would say, over the last 10 years with the challenge of um, systems that were originally built purely for business to business to serve their own employees, their bank employees, their lending people. And now, you know, here we are in a world where my expectation as a consumer is that I can access everything about my banking through an app on my phone or through a web interface. And just that pivot alone, if you are a checking and savings bank or if you are a lender to expose all of that to your consumers has been a huge step for them and I think put some real strain on their services. The second place where I'm seeing innovation is in the banking products themselves. So while it is a highly regulated industry, lending is highly regulated and banking is for sure, you see innovation happening in the types of products that are out there with companies like SoFi and Upstart, a variety bringing products to market that I think are very competitive in terms of being able to serve the needs of users who don't actually want to go into a bank in a building in a you know place right i want to be able to do it all from my computer the third place where innovation i think is happening is really related to a recognition that many many consumers have financial relationships with more than one brand. You know, an everyday consumer may have a banking relationship with one well-known bank. They may also have a retirement account. Maybe they've got a little stock investing account that they're dabbling with, but that could be three different brands. That's usernames and logins and having to log in and out. So you've got companies out there like Plaid that are bringing technology to the ecosystem that can allow a company like NerdWallet to pull off what we did in our native app. So in our app, any user is actually able to link all of their accounts, your retirement account, your banking account. It doesn't matter what it is. You can link all of those into one kind of command center and see all of your accounts in one place. You can see all of your money in one place, which up until just recently, that was very difficult to do. Exactly. And I really like what you said earlier. It's demystifying the whole process. And the other thing is doing is educating people, right, about finance and sort of providing them a clear view of where they're at and where they could go. That's exactly right. It's actually really surprising to me. You know, I'm a mom with three boys and my boys are high school age. I now realize how shocking it is that our education curriculum does not include kind of personal finance 101. And so one of the biggest things that drew me to NerdWallet was the fact that we're actually solving a very real problem for a lot of consumers. And the truth is beyond understanding a checking account and a credit card, there are a lot of ways that people could be managing their money that if they had a little more education and a little more knowledge and a little better understanding of what might seem to be arcane terms, they could do it. Um, it's very possible. There are pretty good best practices out there around how to think about how much you spend, how much you save, how much you borrow. 
but you don't get taught that. That is not taught in high school. And I don't even know if you can take a college course on it, but perhaps we should be able to. Exactly. Earlier, you were talking about different kinds of products that companies build. There's the business to business and also business to consumer, which sounds like Nerd Wallet focuses a lot on this. From your experience through working in product development, have you noticed key differences in the ways products get developed for business to business versus business to consumer? Or do they share a lot of the process? I think so. I would say uh, they share a lot of the same process, in my view. The questions you ask as a product manager are the same. You know, it's about inputs. What problem does the end user have? That's where you'll always start. But if you're talking about a product that's beyond product market fit, let's take that example. So I ask, you know, what problem is my consumer trying to solve? And the same question, what problem is my business user trying to solve? It's the same question, different user. But then you have to ask a whole bunch of other questions. What are the dissatisfiers in my product? Why do people choose not to use my product? or choose not to buy my product. One of them's B2C, one of them's B2B. Why do people leave my product? Why do they stop using my product? Why did they stop buying my product? Same question. Do I have defects? Do I have major defects that I need to deal with? That's the same question. So I think a lot of the inputs are the same. The end user is different. I think the one thing that is remarkably different or notably different about B2B is that there's often a sales organization involved. And so your sales organization is another set of inputs. They can both be the voice of your customer, but good product managers also talk directly to their customers. But the voice of sales itself is an important input that I think is unique on the B2B side. What is it about how you have built your product that is making it hard for them to sell it? What have you done that makes it easy? What have you done that makes it marketable? So for example, bringing a product to market like a CRM platform like salesforce.com, there is plenty in that product that is exactly what the users of Salesforce need to do their job and be effective. But I will bet there might be one or two features in there that have what I just call sex appeal. They are salesman friendly. They may only appeal to a niche group of potential customers, but a sales guy can talk about them because they are unique and different from any other similar type product in the marketplace. And it provides a little bit of sizzle. There is nothing wrong with adding a little bit of sizzle into your product, particularly into a B2B construct. So in that B2B business to business arena. So that would be one example where I think B2B is different. The other example is that you're often selling not to your end user. You're selling to an IT department if we're talking a technology product. And so you have to keep in mind that when you're building for B2B, you need to build a product that is not only really effective for what it's supposed to do for the end user, but it also has to be, you know, reasonably easy to operate. It shouldn't require the end customer to have to spin up an entirely new, I don't know, function to operate it. Those are other considerations for when you're doing B2B. I want to switch gears for a bit and focus a lot more on the leadership aspect of your career 
I'm particularly curious what your thoughts are on the important skills for a vice president um, role in a company like NerdWallet or another tech company. That's a really interesting question. I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. When I think about vice president, I'm thinking about, I'll put it this way. One of the things I tell my team is that if I, the vice president, am making direct product decisions, something has probably gone wrong somewhere because I am not as close to the end user as my team is. I am not as deep in the research. I am not as intimately aware of where we have product quality issues or where we might have sales concerns. And so I shouldn't be making specific product decisions. What I should be doing is making sure that my teams are enabled to do that effectively. Do I have the right people in my product organization Are they surrounded by the right types of capability? Do they have a solid user experience research support system? Do we have a market research support system? Do we have really clear feedback loops from user operations or customer service? Is it very effective and easy for my product team to get their hands on that kind of input as they are thinking about their roadmap? You know, that's one of my jobs. Another job is, Do we have the right size teams? Do I have a product manager with a big product problem and a small engineering team and high expectations for time to market? That's a problem I need to solve. The last is I have to pay attention to my product team and what's important to them as people. They have careers, they have lives, they have ambitions, and they ultimately need to be coached to figure out where they get their energy. We've talked a little bit about the different, what I call flavors of product management and different product managers, they all start in the same place. They all start as an associate product manager or a product manager, and they're eager to learn and they want to get their hands dirty. They want to start building. But over the course of those first three or four or five years, my job as a VP of product is to help them discover what type of product management they get the most enjoyment for. Where do they get the most energy? And can I guide them in that direction? And it's usually kind of two conversations. One conversation is what flavor of product management? Are you gravitating toward platform product management and building internal tools to make our world more effective? Are you gravitating toward consumer product management where you absolutely want to see your product on the you know, home screen of cell phones? But the other side of it is, are you a builder or are you ultimately a leader of builders? So the other track or conversation with the team is, do you want to stay on an individual contributor track and continue to build and continue to take on more challenges and bring more things to market? And how can I make you continue to feel motivated about doing that? The other side is, do you think you're ready to lead, to coach, to teach, and to guide? And what do I need to do to make you ready for that? So it really is about, do I have the right team and talent? Do I have the right organizational support system? And, you know, am I providing the right kind of guidance and expectations around what parts of our strategy we want to move forward and at what pace? Those are the three big pieces to me. One of the first pieces that you mentioned was delegation and trust. From what I understood, because you're saying if you're 
making product decisions, it means something has gone wrong because you're trusting your team to do that. They're, you're providing the resources for them, enabling them. How do you start trusting someone that you haven't worked with before? Let's say you, you just were put in a leadership position and then you need to start not doing the stuff yourself, right? Yes. Have you found it hard to do it sometimes throughout your career? Actually, there's a technique that I use that I call delegation with insurance. And it works like this. Even if when, let's say I was a director of product management and I had three or four product managers reporting to me, delegation with insurance goes along these lines. Product manager, I would like you to take on this initiative. Here are the outcomes that I'm looking for. The objective is for you to increase click-through rate on this set of pages by 20%. Here's why I think that's a reasonable ask of you. Here's the team that I'm gonna give you to do it. How does that sound? Product manager says, I'm up for the challenge. I love it, thank you very much. My next word out of my mouth is, all right, you now understand what I'm asking of you and what my expectations are. How about if you take the next couple of days and draft yourself out a plan and come back and meet with me and let's just check what that plan looks like. And that's all it is. It's that simple. I didn't sit there and say, okay, step one is go do this. And step two is go talk to this person. And step three, that's not where I went. That would be micromanaging. What I said was, you go write a plan and then come back and share your plan with me. That's my insurance policy because that gives me a second conversation to acknowledge what they did well in that plan. I wouldn't be giving them this challenge if I didn't think they were up to it, but also to course correct in a couple of places where I think it might be necessary. So their plan might come back 80% of the way there. I can fix the 20% in a way where they still feel complete ownership of what they've done, but they're going to walk out of that second conversation with a plan that I have confidence in. At that second conversation, the last thing I'm going to ask them is, what do you think your check-in needs are going to be? How often do you think you want to come back and check in with me? Again, they get to take the lead and offer up what they think a status report check-in or a quick 15-minute stand-up or however they want to suggest an approach. And all that does is give me one more set of insurance where I can respond with either A, sounds great, or how about if I suggest that in addition to a stand-up every Friday morning, why don't you send me a status report on Tuesday afternoons? And that way we've got two touch points over the course of a week. So again, they're owning the plan. They're owning the check-ins. I had the insurance policy, which is I could slightly modify the way I needed to. That is what I think of and what I have in mind when I'm talking about delegation with insurance. And it can be a really effective way to not steal away agency. Like you want to give agency to your team, but you also don't want to live in a void of fear and uncertainty and doubt. And that's why you wouldn't really choose the micromanagement approach, right? Because you want them to... No, when you're the type of manager, whether it's first level manager or higher, in my opinion, is asking a million questions and 
when the way you ask those questions, it comes with a 10 item bullet point list of did you think of A, B, C, D, E, F? Like you're just taking agency away from somebody. And product managers, in, I think in particular, like they're in often they've got a point of view that their real end goal in life is to be like a mini CEO. They want that agency. They want to prove that they're capable. You want to make sure they don't put your product at risk or your business at risk. So you need that insurance policy in there. But I think there are very effective ways to get both out of it. Well, Tracy, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been very insightful chatting with you. Thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure to talk about the discipline. I've talked to many people and product management is infrequently a class you can take in school or a major that you can pursue. And so even demystifying product management has really been a pleasure. 